So we're starting this new series that will be however many weeks we decide it will be. We'll start the summer this way. We'll see how far we get. It's a sermon series kind of roughly based on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's who is my neighbor, and we'll be talking about being neighborly and what that means. And today's scripture is a familiar story, um, probably the, the premier story about being a neighbor um, in the Gospels. And so that's what we're looking at. I mean, we started big, and so we'll talk about that today. So this is in Luke um, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Hear these words. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. May God grant us understanding of these words this day, the word of God for the people of God. Bless be to God. As we begin to kind of contemplate receiving our neighbors next door, a little later this summer, I'm almost hate to say by such and such a date because that's changed so many times, but I'm assured there's going to be summer. We're going to take a look at kind of this, this idea of the act of being neighborly. Um, or it could be also said, won't you be my neighbor? As our summer series, and, and as I said, we'll see how far we get and, and how many weeks we do it. We may get to the middle and decide we want to go in a different direction. Or we might stay here for a while. Here's the deal. I don't think you can, can have a conversation around who is my neighbor without thinking about Mr. Rogers. How many of you 
watched Mr. Rogers, maybe with your kids or with your grandkids, um, when it was on TV. Some of us have. There's this, as I was researching Mr. Rod Rogers, there was such interesting contrast to who he was. There was a, a kind of a, kind of a rumor, I guess would be the only thing we can call it, that he was a war hero. And kind of painting him as this superhero kind of person. And when I looked then a little bit deeper, he wasn't a war hero. He was drafted in Vietnam, but he didn't have that, um, that attributed to his name. But there were these rumors and people thought he was bigger than life. But I have to tell you, when I was thinking about this, I realized that, that Mr. Rogers was a hero in a lot of different ways. He spoke against injustice. He gave a voice to the marginalized at a time when no one else did. And he did it wearing a cardigan sweater and talking to children. Wow, what a difference. Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian pastor, um, but that didn't come up a whole lot in his show. He attended Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and of course, as I said, was most well known for his Mr. Rogers neighborhood that lasted for over 30 years, began in 1968 and ended in 2001, and was over 800 episodes. What a reach this man had. The thing about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as you know by the song, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is that it's always a beautiful day in the neighborhood. No matter how your day was going, Mr. Rogers would, would come in with a big smile and he would request that you would be his neighbor. The thing that Mr. Rogers was trying to teach children in the 20th century was the exact same thing Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in the very first century. It was how to be a good neighbor. Because he didn't say, won't you be my neighbor? He showed how to be neighborly in all kinds of ways. Today's scripture is what we're going to be looking at, this story about the, the good Samaritan. I, we're usually, it's usually framed that way. And we're going to look at it today, and we're going to see what we can glean out of out of it in this idea of being neighborly. The story of the Good Samaritan is known as one of the parables. Um, some scholars believe that it is a kingdom parable. Have you ever heard that phrase, a kingdom parable, as opposed to a regular parable? A kingdom parable um, is an earthly story with some sort of heavenly meaning. Um, it's kind of heavenly implications. The story, this story is considered a, a kingdom parable because it speaks of what life in the kingdom might be like. Um, and Jesus was often in the Gospels, if you look at it, speaking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom looks like. 
you know, that's kind of part of the, the mustard seed story and the other things that we're familiar, it's always about the kingdom. Um, but although there's this belief that it's a kingdom parable, I look at it, this story, and I think it has really huge implications and lessons for us today. It's not about what something will be in the future, which is kind of what I think about when I'm when I hear that things have heavenly implications. My friends, I think it has implications in the here and the now. In the here and the now. But it's important to note that when Jesus was talking of the kingdom, he was introducing a radical message to the people. Something that was very different than anything they had ever heard before. He was introducing a radical way of thinking, a radical way of behaving, and a radical way of acting. And, particularly for the Jews, a radical way of doing religion, of doing spirituality. They had their, their way of doing things, the Jews, at that time, and it was all wrapped up in following the right things at the right time, doing the right things at the right time. And Jesus pushed back against that in, in amazing ways. So in this case, with this story, Jesus is doing what Jesus does best. He's teaching people. In this case, someone came up to Jesus and kind of gave a challenge to him. They, they kind of thought they knew how the answer should be. And in this case, that was the expert of the law. Um, the law, in this case, that they're referring to is the first five books of the Bible. An expert was someone who knows that portion inside and out, every single verse, and can interpret, translate, and apply a particular law to the various cases that came up in Jewish life. That was his job. So in this situation, he comes up to Jesus and asks a simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus simply replies with another question. What is written in the law? And how do you read it? He knew who this man was. What is written in the law and how do you read it? In other words, you are the expert in the law. Don't ask me. Why don't you tell me how you see it? Then he goes on and the expert of the law starts quoting a section from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, what you need to do is love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Okay, those are the things you need to do. So if, if we do those things, we can inherit. Um, but then the expert of the law takes it a step further. Just to show that he knows what he's talking about, he then adds a tag to it, a verse in Leviticus, and he says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And at this point, Jesus says, you're doing a good job explaining this. Go and do likewise. But the man didn't stop there. He asked one more question. He asked, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? 
it seems like the teacher of the law was feeling pretty good about this whole discourse, about his knowledge. He's feeling, feeling good about the fact that he was an expert. He was feeling good about how, that he knew how to apply the law to his life. When he says, who is my neighbor, what he is hoping he's going to get from Jesus is maybe kind of a short laundry list. Do this, 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 and it will work. He's thinking kind of that way. Because this is, this is Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They knew him by reputation and the things that he did. And so this expert of the law was thinking, if, we could just, if you just tell me what I need to do. Now, I've heard that you have an in with God, and I just need to know that I'm there. You know, there things that might have been in that list would be taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans, taking care of the people in the Jewish community. Um, Jesus, do you notice, turns this question upside down. Instead of giving a list, what does Jesus do? Jesus gives the man a story, the one we're looking at today. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in some of these biblical conversations? I can see this, this expert of the law feeling a little uncomfortable as the story began. As we look at it today, there's a couple of things that we need to, to understand going into the story. It happened on the Jericho Road. Lots of things happened on the Jericho Road. The Jericho Road is a 17-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho. The road drops 3,600 feet in those 17 miles. It's a steep, winding, descending, remote road that for centuries has been a place of multiple robberies. It was not a safe road. I wonder what we would say are is our kind of Jericho Road in today's world. Lombard? The cut? The slums of Chicago? I'm guessing that we could name a few places that would be like that. The Jericho Road was a place of violence it's a place where there is oppression. It is a place where people are robbed of the dignity and robbed of their love and robbed of their food and robbed of their freedom. The Jericho Road is something we can relate to. The, in this parable of Jesus invites us to have hearts of love to have hearts of love for anybody who is hurting on any of the Jericho roads that happen today. It might not be a windy road. Most of you know that I, I drive down Germantown Road most of the time. I don't know that you can get more windy than that. But I don't think we need to think exclusively of a specific geological location. The Jericho Road, the places of danger, are in our world all the time. Every place we go. And affects our neighbors all the time. 
the things that we do, taking care of family, taking care of an Alzheimer's patient, um, struggling for jobs, struggling for food, those could be our own personal Jericho roads. Kids who are bullied live on the Jericho Road in our world. Adults who are bullied do too. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. So this story is important. We can relate to being in dangerous places, rugged places, a rough road a risky road, a place where there's robbers. In this Jericho road between Jerusalem and Jericho, there were caves where robbers would hide and jump out. And so just to kind of the paint the pictures, this is the place where this story takes place, the scary place. This person was walking back from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and suddenly a band of robbers came upon him, robs him, strips him of his clothes, and leaves him half dead. As the story goes, he's there on the side of the road, and along comes a priest. Um, and the, the priest makes a decision, according to the story, to walk on by. And then comes a Levite, and the, and the same thing happens. He notices the person, and he walks on by. You see, to, to add a little bit more color to our story, it's important to note that the priests were the ones in charge of all the sacrifices at the altar, along with the priests were the Levites, and the Levites would have been like the administrators of the temple. They were the ones that took care of all the details. They were the ones that made everything, made sure everything was running properly, making sure that there were supplies, making sure that things were cleaned up, that sort of thing. So you have the priest who's in charge of the sacrifices and the Levite who's in charge of the details. And the thing you need to know about both of these people is that they were supposed to be holy. They were supposed to be pure. Most importantly, they were the ones in that society who were considered the dispensers of God's grace. They were the ones that were given the responsibility to take the law that God had gave Moses and to be able to interpret it to the people. In some cases, there was some abuse of that responsibility. They became so focused on the letter of the law that they missed the meaning behind it. They were very good about living in a legalistic way, living in a way that kept them inside the temple. They were really cautious about purity. So one of the things about that whole thing is that in order for them to do their jobs in the temple, they had to remain pure. And that meant they couldn't touch anything unclean. And someone who was potentially dead or injured was unclean. They didn't know any of that, of what the man's circumstances were, but if they touched him. And in some cases, if their shadow touched the person who was damaged at the side of the road, then 
they were not clean and they couldn't do their jobs. Now, in some ways I get walking on the other side. You see, I don't agree with it, but I get it. How many of you routinely see panhandlers at the side of, intersection onto the freeway or an intersection going into a mall? The panhandlers are there and, and typically I have made the decision that I don't give out money to them. But as you're there in that place and you're seeing them with their signs, help me with food, I'm out of work, my kids are going hungry, it wrenches my heart. But I've made that decision that I'd rather give my money in ways that it can help more people. So I bring food to the food pantry. I give to, to organizations that provide food for more than just one person. Now, I will tell you that there are times in my life when I feel moved to give. I'm not saying that I walk on the other side of the road all the time. There was the time I'm walking into the Orinco Sunday Market and there's this woman with two children sitting by the entrance holding up a sign and I, I walked past. I got maybe a dozen steps past this woman and I had this feeling that I needed to do something. So I went back and I handed her the cash that I had. I don't think it was a lot. Maybe $10. And you know, she said, bless you. And as I'm walking the way, the kids say, Mama, we're going to eat tonight. Mama, we're going to eat tonight. I don't always walk on the other side, but I can get someone not walking, not doing. I can get that. That is so difficult to make those choices on a day-to-day -day basis. If this priest and this Levite hadn't done what they did, they couldn't serve the people in the temple. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I understand. And I'm so glad that there's more to the story than those people walking past that man. Because then what happens is this thing where there's this, um, of all people, a Samaritan. You remember we've talked about the fact that the Samaritans weren't received in the Jewish society at all. In fact, there was that whole thing that, that they, weren't, they would even walk around the country so they didn't have to go through Samaria. This was a person that the Jews considered an unclean, unperson. And this is the man that helps the person who is hurt. Not only helps this person, but goes out of the way to give money to make sure that the person is taken care of. And I wonder what the expert of the law was thinking about that. Feeling a little squirmy? Standing there, perhaps? Maybe? 
So at the end of this story, Jesus poses a question to the expert of the law. Because I'm guessing this expert of the law was standing there kind of with his mouth open because it was a Samaritan that did the thing. Jesus says to him, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Did you notice that he doesn't say that the man is a Samaritan man? He doesn't even name him. Kind of an unperson, the one who showed mercy. Who is my neighbor? Is the question. But you know, I don't think that that's the question that Jesus answered. Did you notice that? I don't think that Jesus was answering, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered the question, how can I be neighborly? How can I be a neighbor? How? He's telling the man, don't be like the priests and the Levites. Be like this other one, this man who did his thing, who was neighborly to the one who was hurt. Not only did the Samaritan find the wounds, when you think about it, it talks about the fact that he uses oil and wine. Those were sacraments in the temple, a temple that this man could never have entered. And yet, this was given to him to bind his wounds. This was given to him to declare he was a person. What a story. So what are the implications of this story for today? If I had a whiteboard up here, what would we list? In your bulletin, on your insert, you will see on the back behind the words of the songs, a little place where you can write down. What are the implications? Who is my neighbor? How to be neighborly? If something comes to mind, jot that down. Because I think it, it, it informs what we do right here, right now. And I know, I get that sometimes being a neighbor means that we have to take risks. I know that sometimes that's not terribly comfortable. You know, that I never know what I'm going to find when I get here in the morning. I might find that things are messed up outside. I might find someone desperately needing to talk to someone. You know, in the time that I've been here, I usually have to say a prayer when I come down that German town road saying, God, whoever I encounter today, let me be. Let me be you to them. And sometimes it's hard to do that. And I get that completely. When it comes to being neighborly, it's not always easy. There's always risk. And each of us needs to decide how much risk we can take. 
Y'all need to be safe. But we can be safe. And we can still know when God is calling us to be a neighbor. For example, my walking in with that woman and her children, walking past her and hearing the Spirit tell me, she needs you. Or the time that I'm turning in cans at Fred Meyer before they had bottle drop and you had to, I hated doing it. I always, well, the first time that this happened, and then after that, I always had a way of dealing with that. This first time, I'm standing there with my two big bags of pop cans, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. And as I'm tuning in to two young men who are turning in their cans before me, and I hear one of them say this, if we can only find a few more cans, we can have hamburger in our hamburger helper. And I'm standing there with these cans doing something that I don't like to do. Looked up to them and I said, here. Wow, that's enough for two pounds of hamburger. I think that the act of being neighborly is listening to the spirit, listening to what we're called to do. Being safe and cautious, yes. That's often when Betty's here on Wednesday afternoon, I'm here as well, so that we have two of us here as she's working out there. Knowing that sometimes people aren't telling us the truth is part of our reality. It happens. But going back to the story and understanding that we're called to be neighbors, neighborly, and that the question is not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? Pretty, a, a pretty amazing way to begin this series. And when I think about Mr. Rogers, It's a pretty amazing show at a time when being neighbors to everyone. You know, we're all included all. When he was friendly, no matter what. For kids who watched the show knew that he loved them. kids that might have been the ones who were bullied. Mr. Rogers was willing to have the hard conversations. When he said, won't you be my neighbor, Mr. Rogers really, really, really meant it. I suspect that if Mr. Rogers were alive today, he wouldn't look at the color of the kid's skin. He wouldn't look if they were rich or poor. He wouldn't see if they had or hadn't, you know, the haves or haves not. He wouldn't do that. Whether the child was in the ghettos of Los Angeles 
whether they were in a mansion in Beverly Hills, whether they were living in a homeless camp down on the cut, that child would know that Mr. Rogers cared. He didn't give a thought to whether the person was worthy or not. Wasn't whether they, what they believed politically, that wasn't part of his story. But he taught a generations or generations much about being neighborly. So as we look at this story, I leave you with this thought. When we come, when it comes to helping out our neighbors, the question we do not ask is who is my neighbor? But really the question put before us in every way that we can possibly imagine is how am I being neighborly to the people that have passed my way this day? God, give us wisdom. Help us to discern your voice. Help us to greet our neighbors in a neighborly way. Help us to help Help us to be the helpers in a world that desperately needs helpers. Help us to be your hands and feet. Oh, Jesus. Help us to lead with your heart. Knowing that you love all. Amen.